Come with me on an exploration of self-discovery. On this podcast, we decipher what really matters as we unravel the chaos of day-to-day work to learn how to build an essential life. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the What's Essential podcast. I'm your host, Greg McEwen, and I'm so looking forward to having a conversation directly with you today. I always love that about podcasting, a chance for, let's say, an intimate chat. And one of the things that I want to share today is the idea that books are not entirely dead things. They have a life of their own. I heard another author once say, when you write a book, it's a bit like water running down a mountain. You don't control where the water goes, and sometimes it can surprise you what happens as it makes its way. And that's certainly been the case with the publication of Effortless, and before that, Essentialism, in Brazil. Something is happening in Brazil with these books. If you go to the Brazilian Amazon website, it is typical for both books to be high on the bestseller list, uh, even outselling phenomenon books like Harry Potter and, and the likes. And I don't really understand exactly why, but it means that there is this evolving conversation taking place with the marvelous people of Brazil. And why that matters for today's episode is that one of the major newspapers there, Estado, reached out and asked me to answer a series of questions about Effortless. So I want to bring those questions to this conversation and answer them with you. Uh, And I think it may be an enlightening experience. So here's the first question. They ask, the pandemic with its excesses of screens, information, and stress caused more fatigue in society. The same one that in 2010 was called the Society of Tiredness by the philosopher Bian Chulhan. I really love that phrase, Society of Tiredness. Doesn't it conjure a certain image where all of us find ourselves now? Is this form of exhaustion and glorification of burnout an inherent characteristic of Western countries? Oh, that's a that's an interesting question, isn't it? Um, an inherent part of it. I think it is an inherent, although unintended characteristic of successful countries. So I don't know if it's quite right to say Western countries, but industrialized countries. The Industrial Revolution, and perhaps sometimes in a way we forget this because we're so used to having lived in the post-industrial world or the industrializing or the industrializing world, increased productivity 50 times, not 50%, but 50 times increase in 
in productivity. Sometimes we can romanticize the agrarian age, but in truth, that life, in fact, the life, the life for ad finitum generations before the Industrial Revolution was very hard. Uh, for most of human history, it has been a battle for survival against the elements. I remember somebody recently saying it this way, that we come into the world starving and alone. And I might add that we spend the rest of our lives trying to address those two problems. And so that has helped me to think that there really is a legitimate busyness. But what we have to be careful about, coming back now to this question, is activity without purpose. Wherever the bit flips and busyness itself becomes the goal, to say it explicitly now, yes, I think it's an inherent part of an industrialized society that, that there will be a sort of relentlessness. Um, there will be lots to do and much, much more than we possibly can do. So what do we do about it? It's an inherent part of it, but that doesn't mean that we have to give way to it and make that the goal. I grew up in Leeds, England. Um, it's an industrial town. Um, Yorkshire, of course, in the midst of the Industrial Revolution was thought of as the, the factory of the world. And wool mills in particular thrived in that area. There is an Armley Mills uh, in Leeds, which was one of the major wool factories of that time. If you go there with me, imagine these new massive machines. They'd never been seen before. They'd never been created before. And they were enormously disruptive. They were increasing this productive output massively. They were clothing the world. They, they, they did this enormous good, but there were these unintended consequences. Um, you'd have these bobbins, uh, which now that I think about it might not be a name you're particularly familiar with. It's a, a cylinder wound with a thread or yarn or something. And these could fly off, hit the women in the face who were working on those machines. There's all sorts of uh, trouble as you had child labor itself, not a new phenomenon at all. Children were working in the fields from very early on. That's normal in agricultural industries uh, also through, uh, through time. But now when you put the children into the factories, there are some terrible stories of children being injured or even killed on these, uh, on these cloth machines. Well, all of this created some seriously negative reactions. Uh, this is the birth of the Luddite movement, uh, where they you know, actually just wanted to destroy these machines and often did destroy them. I'm sharing all of this as context to come now to the precise point I wish to make, which is that our own modern life, now a digitized revolution, not just an industrial revolution, makes a good servant, but a poor master. 
And we, like those industrialists before us, have to think carefully about how to try to extract the advantage of the progress in our day while minimizing the disadvantage. You can't just go into this new age that we're living in and just embrace everything without even thinking about it. So what you want to do is set boundaries, just like eventually happened in the mills where they invented various mechanisms to protect the people who were using the machines. Similarly, we need to protect ourselves. If we don't create boundaries, there simply won't be any boundaries. So one, and you've heard this from me before, is don't do more today than you can completely recover from by tomorrow. That's one clear, simple rule that we can utilize. All right, a second question here. Do you believe that a work routine based on collective goals would be a solution? Okay, let me come to answer that. Competition within a team can be incredibly damaging. I mean, just think of a time when you worked on a team with a low level of clarity around what the team itself was trying to accomplish or what the individual roles within the team were. What was it like? Describe it in your mind in one word. Now think, what was the result of working on that team? I've asked that question to thousands of people now. That's, uh, you know, without any exaggeration and gathered the answers. They have quite a, a deep pool of answers across industries. And if I had to summarize it in one, I would just say uh, total frustration is what the experience is like. And the output is mediocre or sometimes just nothing. And it ends up people just leave teams or the teams get canceled or people are fired and it just does not end well at all. So let's just think about the contrast to that. Can you think of a time when you worked with a team that had a high level of clarity about what it as a whole was trying to accomplish and that people were clear about who was doing what within the team and describe what was that like and what was the result? Again, in gathering this data, from really around the world now, I found that the answer is that that clarity produces an experience, and of course you'll recognize this word, that starts to approximate effortlessness and that the output is success. Now that's the relationship. Clarity of purpose of what we're trying to do produces a way of working together. Of course, it's an exaggeration to say it's completely effortless, but that it's smooth, that it works, it operates together and it becomes highly satisfying to people. They're not forcing anything. They're not straining. It's a, a team in flow and it produces success. And it also produces some of the fondest memories of people's lives. So it's more than just some business or corporate uh, objective being met. It's also something rich and, and rewarding in the journey itself. So I cover this in a chapter in Effortless called Trust. So there's, of course, 
lots in this, but but the distinction I'm trying to make in that chapter is there's a big difference between hiring high trust people, which of course you need to do, but also then putting them into high trust structures and agreements. Uh, I at one time was trying to uh, remodel a house and hired a whole series of people to help with that remodel. And they just never worked together as one team. Because they were so focused on their individual objective and optimizing for that, the whole project as a whole is suboptimal. You know, the, the planks of wood are arriving one day and then uh, the, the workers don't know about it for two weeks um, and, and then they can't get going because the drywall hasn't arrived yet and, and so on. It's this, this idea of eh, no one's coalescing together as one team. So I found it interesting when I do some work for the Lean Construction Institute, the LCI, is a trade association working to address the decline in efficiency within the construction industry. So one more aside here, while other labor-intensive industries have seen massive increases in efficiency, perhaps uh, 70%, contrast this frustrating experience with my remodel with the opportunity I had to work with the Lean Construction Institute. Uh, this is the LCI. They are a trade association who are working to address the decline in efficiency within the construction industry. So while other labor-intensive industries have seen efficiency improve since the 1960s, today in the United States, a startling 70% of construction projects are still delivered late and over budget. And yeah, even more concerningly, you have 800 construction-related deaths and thousands more industries being reported per year. So one of the innovations, let's say, that the LCI have developed and are implementing is what they call the deal. That is a single agreement, a contract, that every party to a construction project sign on to. So there will be various incentives for delivering the project on time and on budget. And so now everybody is incentivized to work together. So instead of optimizing for their individual objective, they're optimizing for the collective objective. And it changes everything. That level of clarity, it's not that the individual workers are now more capable than they were before. It's just that they perform in a more capable way because they're doing it you know, in the collective. And so we can do a similar thing in almost any team. Um, and it's well worth the investment. You maybe invest a little bit more upfront in getting this level of clarity. But once you have it, for goodness sake, it rewards you back many, many times over. There's five pieces to the agreement. Um, first is results. Now, what does success look like for us as a team? Number two, who is doing what? That you divide clearly the responsibilities so that people know which part is theirs and which part is not theirs. Rules, what are the minimum viable standards that must be met? 
resources, what people, money um, are available. And number five, rewards. How will progress be evaluated and rewarded? That's it. Those are the five questions that create a sort of social construct, a high trust agreement, if you like. And the moment you get it, everything changes. The moment you have it, politics goes down. Game playing goes down between the team members. Competition within the team goes down because instead of everyone playing their own game, they all now know how to win the game together. And that really is the best antidote I know to the kind of inner team competition that creates so much activity without purpose. This episode is sponsored by Shopify. Selling a little or a lot. <coughs> Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. So whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person point-of-sale system, whenever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. So sell more with less effort, thanks to Shopify Magic, which is your AI-powered all-star. In my experience with every business that I have built, including this podcast, there are breakthrough moments, and those moments are often the result of finding the right partner. And I think that's a way to think about Shopify, because no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash greg, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash greg now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash greg. All right, on to the next question. Today, we are pleased to be recognized for overwork, overtime, and extreme dedication. How to deconstruct a culture that is intrinsic to our lives? Mm, that's an interesting question. I, mean, I think what I would say to that is that creating a more effortless culture begins with creating a new language. Many people are fluent in overwork, overtime, extreme dedication, ways of communicating. But they don't necessarily have the words for how to talk about getting great results without burning out. So they're stuck because if you can't talk about a thing, then you can't, you can't move towards it. Language is far more than describing the world around us. It's causative and it's absolutely necessary 
in order to create the future. The relationship between what you can talk about and what you can achieve are indelibly connected. And you could go very deep on that subject. You could think about Freud and one of the tremendous breakthroughs that he made that if you can put people in a room and they can talk about anything they want to talk about without being interrupted, without being immediately judged, then they will tend to move towards the thing that is most uncomfortable and challenging, the thing that is most unspeakable. And that in speaking about it, they start to claim a kind of ownership, a kind of freedom from it. And they can start to use language to, to think about it in new ways and to construct a new version of themselves into the future. I mean, the entire business of psychotherapy is based on that rather extraordinary discovery. Words have a creative force about them. So now coming back to the point here, that's one of the reasons I write books at all. And one of the key reasons for writing effortless is because even what seems like a very vanilla type activity, like holding a book club on a team, you know, like actually reading effortless together, can have a disproportionate impact for good because people can suddenly have the ability to talk about things they can't normally talk about. Uh, in this case, for fear of looking or sounding lazy. Uh, people just shy away from that and so they you know, don't, don't make any progress on it. So what I'm advocating here is, is don't try to do this alone. Don't try to, to use your phrase, deconstruct a culture all on your own. It just won't work. Read the book together. Read it with your spouse. Read it with your team. And don't really worry about this heaviness deconstructing a culture. I mean, that's so heavy. Just read it and talk about it. And here's what will happen. You'll find the culture changing without being focused on that because in the end, one of the best definitions I've ever been able to name for what culture is, is that it is what you can and can't talk about. But that's really what culture is, the invisible force of what's allowed. In some families of origin, on some teams, it's not only that we can't talk about certain subjects, we can't even talk about not being able to talk about certain subjects. And in businesses that were born in thinking from the Industrial Revolution, some of that thinking made it impossible to distinguish laziness from easiness. Because in a machine, you want to have something going 24-7. That's what produces productivity. But with people, it's very different. So to be able to maximize and optimize what people can do, you have to come at it from 
a very different way. So it's natural that there will be certain subjects we can't talk about yet. And, and to discover together as a team, my goodness, easy does not equal lazy. To even just read that together and, and suddenly to discover that we held that opinion before without ever expressing it. This is, this is what I would encourage people to do. This is the simplest, fastest way that I've found for actually helping people to change culture without really focusing about it. Next question here. Today's capitalism is based on delivering results and achieving goals. Through the current economic model, would it be possible to consolate effort with mental health? I think what I will say is that there is something about our modern culture that seems to fry our minds, uh, which is why we need to discover this new, more effortless way of working. Uh, we have to discover that that is even an option. Mental health issues are rising sharply. Uh, the pandemic has clearly increased people's sense of isolation, exhaustion, mental fatigue. I've said it before, uh, there are broadly speaking perhaps two kinds of people in the world. Uh, there are people who are burned out and there are people who know they are burned out. So in that kind of environment, we actually will find a better way of working. The old ways of working will eventually be exited because they're operating against sort of the, the natural laws of human flourishing. And so, you know, they will give way, but the challenge is for us to make changes in our own lives before, you know, management as a whole becomes more enlightened or, you know, that we have to make changes as soon as we possibly can. And what we can do about this, this doesn't sound like a dramatic thing, but I always think about it as being quite revolutionary. And that is like, take a nap. <laughs> For the insecure overachiever, it's easier in their minds to go run a marathon than take a nap. And that's because they've bought into a whole way of thinking about performance, about what it means to be a high performer. But just literally today, uh, I could feel that sleep burden growing. And I took a nap. And if I hadn't done that, there's no way I could be doing this now. I, I have found in my own experience that perhaps taking a nap will double productivity in a day. On to the next question. In your book, Effortless, you say that instead of trying to get better results by trying harder, we can transform the most essential activities into the easiest ones to be performed. How to do the easy and be valued. Mm, that's good. How to deal with this in a company, for example, that values the employee who works beyond the standard? Yes, this is a real challenge. Um, you know, I've worked with organizations that have heroics awards, literally, not, not somehow just in conversation. I mean, actual heroics awards that they hand out at their annual meeting. And this is for the people that pulled the all-nighters, the people that never stopped for weeks straight to get the deal done and so on. And in the same conference, they're asking me to come and speak 
about this new way of work, this more effortless way of getting great results. And I, I had to point out to them the contradiction that will hold them back. You can't say we care about well-being in the way that you work and then also literally reward people for doing the opposite. So as managers, we have to be very careful about that to celebrate instead the people that are working consistently, sustainably. Um, yes, they're good performers, but they're your sustainably good performers. This to me is a more important group of people. They're highly engaged. They're doing the work. They're low maintenance. And so sometimes they don't get the the attention that they ought to get. We ought to have a burnout is not a badge of honor award. I was talking to a senior leader of a major tech company just a couple of weeks ago. I mean, he said to me, poll survey results are showing that well-being scores are down because he can see that in a war for talent, uh, there's a flight risk for your high achievers who are on, you know, teetering right on the edge of exhaustion. He doesn't want to have all of his talent suddenly disappearing. So this company has a very particular formalized process of how to get everyone in the organization to be focused. But until you build it into the goals and the systems and the structures of your business, then it will easily be bumped out by all the things that do exist formally in your structures, in your systems. That story to me is a huge growing awareness of these problems, but there's a lag indicator of changing the systems to support that awareness. The awareness I don't think is fake. I don't think it's that people don't really want to do anything about it. It's just that currently it's spoken and it's being developed, but it hasn't yet been turned into formal policies, systems, and structures. And I believe, really, inevitably, it will be. And there we have it. That's a wrap. We've come to that time again, the end of the show. And I just can't help but say it. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Thanks for being a part of this conversation today, for engaging on these subjects that can make, I believe, a real difference in your life, in the life of the people that matter most to you, the people on your team, the people who you influence. And in fact, if you can think of somebody right now who could, could benefit from listening to the conversation that we just had, please send this to them. Please let them know. Please share it in your own social media community. And if you want to go one step further to reinvest back into the community, I'd love for you to take a moment to write a review on Apple Podcasts. The steps are simple. It will take you end to end less than really a couple of minutes. 
And then once you're done, take a photograph and email it directly to me. Send it to info at for a chance to win an annual membership, an all-access pass to all of the content at the Essentialism Academy, which you can learn about at essentialism.com. Again, thank you for listening. Today, as in every day, ask yourself, what's essential? And eliminate everything else. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.